In Puerto Rico, they call themselves Boricua. But Boricua is more than a name for a person from Puerto Rico. It's a way of life that means embracing the beauty that surrounds you, seeking adventure no matter where it may lead, and sharing that vibrant spirit with everyone you meet. And you can experience all that warm, welcoming, passionate culture set in a tropical island paradise without the need for a passport for U.S. citizens or permanent residents. Learn more about how you can live Barigua at discoverpuertorico.com. I'm Aislinn Green, and this is Unpacked, the podcast that unpacks one tricky topic in travel every week. And this week, I have a confession to make. I am a terrible plane sleeper. I can never seem to get comfortable enough to fall asleep in any kind of real way, so I wind up watching movies or reading for most of a long-haul flight, which then means that I stagger off the plane like a zombie and often lose my first 24 hours in a new destination to exhaustion. But I know it doesn't have to be that way. A friend of mine, for example, is one of those people who can step on a plane and be out in minutes, no medication required. Whether you are that kind of plane sleeper, lucky you or an unlucky zombie like me, or maybe you fall somewhere in between, I think we could all benefit from a few tips on how to sleep better on a plane or while traveling. Enter Anna Bartolucci, a licensed psychologist and a certified behavioral sleep medicine specialist. She's the founder of Atlanta Insomnia and Behavioral Health Services, PC, and the author of Better Sleep for the Overachiever. In other words, she knows her sleep, and she specializes in helping people sleep better without medication. In our chat, we covered everything from the one thing everyone should bring on their next flight to the proper use of melatonin, turns out most of us don't use it right, oops, to how to sleep better your first night in a hotel. So let's catch some Z's. Anna, uh, welcome to Unpack. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Of course. All right. First, I would love to just share a little bit more about you. Can you tell us about your work in the realm of sleep? Sure. I am a clinical psychologist and I have extra specification and training and certification in behavioral sleep medicine. So basically, I see uh, a bunch of insomnia patients. I help people sleep without drugs. That's my main thing. I also do general psychotherapy. And it's something I really love doing because sleep touches every part of our lives and I love being able to make such a big difference for my patients in such a short amount of time. That's amazing. But now here's the million dollar question. (laughs) How do you sleep on a plane? Do you sleep well? Are you a good quote unquote plane sleeper? So I will say I sleep really well generally. A lot of it depends on how much room I have to spread out because I'm tall and 5'9". So I would say I'm probably a, we'll say moderate, okay, plane sleeper. I mean, you're right. So much depends on like if you get into business class, right? You mm-hmm. have those great life flat seats. But I think for, you know, our purposes, for our listeners, we'll just focus on, you know, sleeping in economy or premium <laughs> economy. Yep. So from your perspective, what would you say are kind of the tips that you would share? Feel free to elaborate, get as detailed as necessary. Well, of course, a big problem with sleeping on planes is the noise. Mm-hmm. And you had commented on my headphones. I absolutely love my noise-canceling headphones. And it was funny that you contacted me about doing this interview this week because I actually flew back from Florida on Monday. 
and I put my headphones on and I was doing my meditation and my meditation sound is actually very similar to the white noise sound that I sleep with. And I found myself dozing off because that sound is a trigger for me to sleep. So I would say it's not just the noise canceling headphones because then you have the noises that the people on the plane are making because the noise canceling headphones, they're good for that, you know, that certain frequency, that droning, the plane engines, you still get a little bit of it, but they can actually make you more likely to hear like if somebody's talking in the next row or, you know, if the flight attendants are chatting or, you know, if somebody's got their movie sound turned up too loud. So I would say noise canceling headphones plus white noise, especially if it's white noise that you have trained yourself to sleep with would be super helpful. That's a great idea. And just for our listeners, I'm going to briefly describe Anna's headphones. They look like a beautiful rose gold. And you said that they're the Bose? Yes, they're the Bose QuietComfort 35. Nice. Okay, great. Uh, What else would you recommend that a traveler have in their plane sleep kit? Definitely after you go through security, get some water. Because of course, dehydration is another major, major issue with sleeping on planes and of course you want to balance out so you don't actually you know have to pee every (laughs) every hour which not only disrupts your sleep but that of your seatmates as well so yeah be considerate but you know make sure that you have water or perhaps something to help moisten your mouth Um, and then also chapstick because you don't want to be uncomfortable that way Moisturizer, lotion, anything that you can do to help keep your skin from drying out because that can be disturbing as well. And also you don't want to be itchy. Yeah, yeah. That's so funny. It's not something I would have thought about. But yeah, (laughs) you'll wake up if you're itchy. Exactly. And then, of course, temperature because airplanes tend to be very cold. And even if you don't have a little thingy blowing on you, it can be uncomfortable. So I would say don't necessarily count on airlines blankets because they tend to be kind of thin. They're nice and soft, but they're thin. So make sure that you have like a sweatshirt and also, you know, some comfy socks, some comfy thick socks. Do you use a neck pillow if you're, you know, if you were on a long flight, do you use those? Uh, I used to not, but I probably would if I were to go on a long international flight at this point, because yeah, that's the other thing, because there's really no good place to put your head. Right? Yeah. I mean, unless you have one of those window seats where I feel like you can kind of create a little bit more of a pillow support. But yeah, if you were in the middle seat, (laughs) what would you do? (laughs) Would you say a neck pillow is key to that? I would say neck pillow would be, or something that you can use to support your head and keep it straight, or at least not tilted too far to one side or the other. Yeah. It seems like the middle seats would be perfect for my patients who tell me that they basically sleep like vampires, you know, like straight up and arms crossed. It's like, that's your best (laughs) middle seat sleeper. For side sleepers or stomach sleepers, what do you think the best positions are? Yeah, probably neck pillow or some other small pillow where you can lean to one side and curl up a little bit. But again, yeah, that would be really hard to middle seat. So make sure that you like your seatmates. Yes. (laughs) Um, You mentioned hydration and dehydration. Mm -hmm. And I know that, you know, everyone always says don't drink Mm -hmm. on the plane. So A, is that what you would recommend? And B, I'm one of those people who loves to have one of those little like plain cocktails. Alaska (laughs) has the little stowaway old fashioned. So say you did indulge in a cocktail. Is there any way to recover and still sleep relatively well? (laughs) So definitely do just one. Yeah. <laughs> and then go ahead and watch a movie and sip water through the movie. 
to balance yourself back out. But yes, definitely don't go overboard and also maybe don't go overboard then on the on the airplane food, which is of course super salty. So perhaps bring something that you could eat that would not be super high in sodium. Okay. Would that be like the best, your best recommendation for food in terms of sleep? Food is one of those things that's very individual for people. Mm. So Mm -hmm. it would be more, be aware of what your nighttime food needs are, because you want to have that balance between like, you don't want to be super full and you also don't want to be hungry when you go to sleep. So in general, it's finding that happy medium And so for sleep in general, we suggest having something that has both carbohydrates and protein. So the carbohydrates, so it's satisfying and the protein so that you don't end up with a blood sugar spike and adapting that however it needs to look for you on an airplane. Like some people need to have a bedtime snack. Other people can't have a bedtime snack because they have reflux or some other medical issues. So it's more knowing what your body prefers, but in general, yes, staying away from the super high salty food. Maybe even being aware of what you eat that day would probably be a good idea. And also, you know, people often ask me, well, what about taking sleep medication on planes? Yeah. What do you think? Again, that is a very individual thing because brains are weird. You know, you could give the same drug to two different people that have two different reactions. So if you are curious about that, talk to your physician and definitely don't let on the plane be the very first time that you're taking this and also be aware that things hit you harder in the air, not just alcohol, but also medications. And so if you're taking something regularly on the ground, you might not need that dose when you are in the air. And of course, I'm not a prescriber, so I can't make specific recommendations, but these are just general guidelines. So yeah, definitely talk to your prescriber. Okay. Uh, No, that's really good advice. I know that in your practice, you try to help people sleep without medication. What are your thoughts on melatonin and using that as like a kind of a jet lag, more of a jet lag supplement or assistance? That's basically what melatonin is for. It's actually a horrible insomnia drug. It's more for helping to adjust circadian rhythms. The thing to remember about melatonin is that the bottles often tell you to take it completely wrong. You want to take it nine to 10 hours before your desired wake up time, whereas a lot of them will tell you to take it like a half hour before you go to bed. Oh, interesting. And also with melatonin, it really is true that less is more. Like you're likely to get more benefit from a lower dose, like even as little as a half a milligram than you will from a 10 milligram pill. Because what happens is if you have too much melatonin, your body metabolizes it through the sleep period, which then throws off your internal clock rather than at the beginning of the sleep period, which is when it would be mimicking more of when your body is releasing its own melatonin. So our melatonin comes out of our brain in a flood. It's called the dim light melatonin onset. And so continuous release melatonin definitely does not work like that. And for a lot of people, it can actually mess them up. How long would you recommend that they use it? Is this something that's just like first couple of days on the plane, and then first couple of days as you're adjusting or? Oh, that's a great question. Definitely, you don't want to use it every single night for 20 years, which is how a lot of my patients end up using it. <laughs> so we work, we work them off of it. Yes. So it would just be for a few days to help you to get adjusted. I see. And then would you stop when you're feeling relatively like, okay, I'm on this time zone. I'm not falling asleep during the day again <laughs> anymore. Yeah, it would be more like monitoring your own 
you know, your own reaction to it. But generally, most people are able to adjust both with melatonin, but then also with light exposure, because a lot of circadian rhythm management is light management. And light, of course, being natural sunlight, that's our body's main signal for when it's time to be awake. So if you're going to be, for example, traveling to the West Coast, you would want to put on sunglasses and have less light in the morning before you leave your Eastern time zone and then more light in the afternoon to help adjust later. And then the opposite for when you're coming back. Would you, as part of that, kind of recommend that people get on the sleep schedule of their time zone? Yes, aligning as much as possible when you when you start yeah. your travels. That would be ideal. And of course, on airplanes, they serve meals at all the wrong times for that. Yeah. <laughs> <I know. laughs> it's the best you can. Be. Okay. Uh, you mentioned light exposure. And so I was just curious, of course, everyone's watching movies on planes. Do you have any tips for using screens wisely and realistically, I guess? <laughs> uh, yes, the... The Venn diagram of wisely and realistically is it's a very narrow middle part there. <laughs> yeah, that's a hard one. I would definitely say if you're traveling west where you're going to be on a later schedule, then using screens later is fine on the plane because you're helping yourself. However, if you're traveling east, you would want to minimize that. What if you have like blue light blocking glasses? Does that do enough? It will probably help. I don't know if it would completely negate it, but then again, one night of watching screens on the plane is also probably not going to screw you up entirely for your for the rest of your trip. Yeah, it's one of those things you don't want to be super anxious about sleep because the more anxious you are about it, the less likely it is that you're going to be able to sleep. So like you said, do it wisely, do it in moderation. Maybe watch one movie rather than binging an entire TV series on the plane, for example. Yes, I tend to be that type of plane sleeper. I have to admit, I don't sleep well. And then I just have those crazy zombie eyes when I mm-hmm. <laughs> I watch all the TV. <laughs> um, so yes, the moderation. I love that. That's really good advice. If you could just pick one of those things that someone were to do, is there one that you think helps more than any others? That's a hard one to answer because it would depend on the person. Like what bothers them the most. Like what prevents them from sleeping the most if they were at home? Right. Or, you know, if in their experience, what prevents them the most from sleeping on planes? Like maybe some people are fine with the noise, but their head isn't aligned. They're just not able to to go to sleep. Or, you know, maybe somebody is, you know, they're fine with sleeping in a very weird, curled up, uncomfortable position like my cat. But, you know, they can't be itchy. So, yeah, it's, you know, pick which one you think will disturb you the most. But I think for most people, it probably is the noise. In Puerto Rico, they call themselves Boricua. But Boricua is more than just a word to identify a person from Puerto Rico. It's a way of life that means embracing the beauty that surrounds you, seeking adventure, and sharing that vibrant spirit with everyone you meet. In Puerto Rico, you can experience a tropical paradise with world-class beaches. You can immerse yourself in the rich 500-year history of Old San Juan, where there are stunning forts, classic town plazas, and iconic monuments. You can indulge in a foodie paradise with renowned restaurants, seaside kiosks, and an innovative cocktail scene. And you can take in an abundance of natural wonders like El Yunque, the only tropical rainforest in the U.S. National Forest System, all without the need for a passport for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. 
Learn more about the warm culture of Puerto Rico and how you can live Boricua at discoverpuertorico.com. Well, I would love to just segue more generally into sleeping while traveling. So say, okay, you you slept well on the plane or not. Now you're in this new destination. How do you adjust to a new time zone once you're there? So again, it is all about light management. And hotels have these amazing blackout curtains, or most of them do. But if you're trying to get on a new time zone, then having the curtains open at least a little bit in the morning so that you can get that light signal will be super helpful. I think most people have been in a hotel with blackout curtains and then you sleep until like 2 p.m. Yeah, exactly. And you're like, what? (laughs) What happened? Yeah. Okay. So maybe leave them open a crack uh, Mm -hmm. so that natural morning light. Okay. Have you tried any of those jet lag I'm going to use hacks for, for lack of a better word. Like there are the ones, the kind of Gwyneth Paltrow grounding where you, I think you go outside and put your feet, bare feet in the grass hmm. and kind of ranging to the more reasonable ones, like adjusting your schedule before you leave. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I have definitely not gone and stood in the grass. The one that I have done is the the trying to adjust the schedule prior to going with using melatonin even a few days beforehand to start tugging the schedule earlier. I mean, you end up having maybe some tired nights, but it also gives you a chance to see how you respond to melatonin before trying it while you're away. That's a good point. How would you adjust that? Like, are you adjusting your schedule an hour each night? The way that I typically recommend is to Take the melatonin at what will be your bedtime, but adjusted for the time difference. So for example, if you're going someplace that is six hours ahead and you plan on keeping a 10 o'clock bedtime, you would take the melatonin at four. So again, just a couple of days beforehand and then when the day you travel. It's definitely something that has worked for me that I've seen work for my patients as well. But as always, ask your doctor before starting a new medication. Yes, definitely. So one thing that I always, I often struggle with is actually sleeping in a new bed, especially mm-hmm. the first night or two. And I read a story recently that had, had that talked about that's because our brains are wired to be in protection mode. Do you have any thoughts on that or kind of adjusting to a new just sleep environment? I agree. That can be an issue for some people. And I've noticed, especially as I've gotten older, not that I'm that old, I'm in my forties, but I have definitely gotten more sensitive to sleeping in hotels the first night. And I would say white noise is a big help with that because it will help to block out the doors closing and people in the hallway and other little noises that may not have woken you at home, but are more likely to wake you while you're away because yeah, your brain is a little bit more on alert. What white noise do you use? I use an app that allows me to do a mix of white noise. And so it's basically a bunch of very steady kind of water sounds and white noise and just something really super soothing and simple, but that doesn't have a loop. Because sometimes if people are listening to a white noise that has a loop, they'll start anticipating the loop starting over, which doesn't help. So like they're anticipating it while they're sleeping or if they're struggling to fall asleep? If they're struggling to fall asleep, they'll they'll lay there and listen to it and get annoyed. (laughs) All right. No loops. No white noise loops. loops. (laughs) Exactly. Do you have any other kind of thoughts on just sleep as it relates to travel? You know, other 
suggestions once you're in your destination that may help or harm things to avoid? Okay, so my main hotel sleep hack is actually to bring a humidifier with you. For this most recent trip, my husband found probably on Amazon or Target or something, this little bitty humidifier that you just fill up with hotel water and it worked great. And that's really good because of course, hotels also tend to be super dry. And if you are sharing the bed with a snorer, it can actually help. It moistens the airspace somehow and keeps it from getting as in flames. It can make a big difference. How have you noticed that that has changed your sleep? If I don't have it, I wake up so much more often with a dry mouth and needing to drink. And of course, when you're traveling, you're probably also having more salty food. So you're more likely to wake up anyway. And so think about it as not making it a miraculous sleep improvement, but anything you can do to help incrementally make sleep better will still help. The other one I do is that I will bring, I either have it's a little pillow that I bring with me or a crocheted blanket that I bring with me. And both of those smell like home. And the blanket I really like because of course, hotel pillows, there's that joke that, you know, one is never enough and two is way too many. Yeah. Yes. And so having the blanket allows me to adjust the height of my sleeping surface. Nice. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Unless you're staying in one of those hotels that has the pillow concierge. <laughs> <laughs> I've only seen a few of those, but they can, they have like a pillow menu. Wow. <laughs> I know it's next level. Cause I, I actually have seen, it seems like hotels are trying to get in on this sleep game to help mm-hmm. travelers sleep better. And I've actually been curious to know, I have not, I have not, you know, availed myself of any of those, but I'm curious to know how much it does really improve travelers' sleep to use some of those services. I don't know. And I think it's really interesting because one thing they're taking advantage of is if people have trouble sleeping, a lot of the times they'll sleep better outside of their home environment because they don't have all of the anxiety of insomnia associated with that novel place. And so I'm wondering if these hotels, especially the ones that are really heavily advertising, come here and get a good night's sleep. And like, and that's why you go there, yeah. are taking advantage of these behavioral associations. And so I'd be really curious to see how that all pans out. But when my colleagues and I saw that, we were like, yep, that's exactly what they're doing. That is so interesting. So people who have insomnia may actually sleep better in a new environment. Yes. Sometimes they sleep worse, but I think a lot of that is because they're so anxious about their sleep already. And so they're anticipating they won't sleep well, but this is a good opportunity to practice beginner's mind. It's like, okay, we don't know what's going to happen. Let's just see. Do you find that sleep meditations help some of your patients? The thing with sleep meditations is if you're doing them before bed, they can be great at winding down. However, you don't necessarily want to listen to them as you are falling asleep because what you're doing is training yourself to become dependent on them. And then what happens if the app goes away or if here in Atlanta, we have tornadoes, we have the occasional hurricane, we have the occasional ice storm and the power goes out. What if you can't charge your device? So typically we prefer to make sleep as simple as possible. Well, I was actually curious, and this is outside of the realm of travel a little bit, but how do you think we are sleeping as a culture right now? We have this really interesting contrast of the fact that there has been so much more attention put on sleep. 
Like for example, Matthew Walker's book, Why We Sleep and his TED Talk has been really good about educating people on sleep and also the making them super anxious about whether they're going to die tomorrow if they don't get eight hours every single night. <laughs> yes. I know the next next sleep convention I go to with him, I'm going to have to buy that man a drink because I've gotten I've gotten some business because of that. <laughs> so we have this one, you know, super hyper awareness. And of course, all of the different devices to help you track your sleep, which by the way, are not accurate. And then on the other hand, we have screens and we have hustle culture and all of these other cultural things that are working against us being able to sleep. And so what I would say the biggest thing that has changed, especially over the last few years, is that people are a lot more anxious about their sleep, but they're not necessarily sleeping better. (laughs) Like more aware, but sleeping worse. (laughs) Yes. And it's kind of hard to say whether they're sleeping worse now or that they were always sleeping badly now they're more aware that they're sleeping badly yeah because I think you're right you know there has I feel like everywhere I turn there's something about sleeping better I have an aura ring and you know it tells me my sleep score every day and there's so many books and podcasts and yet I do feel like the way that we most of us live doesn't seem to jive with sleeping very well or peacefully so you mentioned that you feel like devices aren't super accurate do you want to elaborate on that at all They are good for some things. So for example, if you're concerned that you move around a lot Mm. at night or you want to get a general sense of how things are going, that's fine. But as for the very specifics, like there is no way your aura ring, for example, can tell you whether you're in light sleep or heavy sleep or definitely not REM sleep. Because the only way something's going to be able to tell if you're in those sleep stages is if it's reading your brain waves. So these devices essentially are checking your movement, your position, and your heart rate, and putting it into some proprietary algorithm that is associated with certain things. So for some people, they can be helpful, but for a lot of people, they end up causing more anxiety. Like, you know, what if you wake up and you're like, wow, I feel awesome this morning. That must've been a great night of sleep. And then you look at your device and it's like, they're going to give you a 60. You got a D minus on your sleep last night. (laughs) Then you start feeling bad or you start looking for, oh, well, do I really feel that good? I'm not sure. There was that one time I woke up and I turned around for a little bit. You know, so again, it depends on the person as to whether those things can be helpful. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, that's good to take these things with a grain of salt. What do you think most people get wrong about sleep? Ooh, the sleep myths. Yes. (laughs) The big one I see is that people, of course, hear that you should go to bed at the same time every single day. However, a lot of people will end up going to bed whether they're sleepy or not, but then they end up, if they're not sleepy, lying awake in bed, which then feeds the underlying sleep problem or can lead to an underlying sleep problem. So... We recommend that you wait until you're sleepy before you go to bed and then keep wake up time consistent because that is where your circadian rhythm anchors. Okay. That's a, yes, I feel like every story about sleep is like go to bed at the same time. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Anything else that you would want to share about sleeping or sleeping while traveling that you think would be helpful for listeners? I would say the important thing, especially with all of this sleep information out there is to practice that beginner's mind around sleep to say, okay, I'm not going to put pressure on myself one way 
or the other, because then of course, a lot of what happens is that people get super anxious about, well, if I don't sleep tonight, how am I going to function tomorrow? And I can tell you at this point from having looked at probably tens of thousands of sleep diaries that how we feel during the day is not 100% correlated with what happens at night. There are other things that feed into how we feel during the day. So it's not all sleep. So yes, sleep is important, but stay balanced and mindful about it. I love that. You had mentioned the book. Are there any kind of resources for people who might want to investigate sleep a little bit more that you recommend? Oh, well, of course, I have written a wonderful book called Better Sleep for the Overachiever because I have seen that personality type so much in my practice. And so finally, I decided to take you know 10 years worth of experiences and conversations and advice and distill it into a book. And so it is partially about sleep, but it is also a lot about the other things that people in general, not just overachievers, that feed into sleep problems. Like for example, there is a chapter called relaxation for people who can't relax. (laughs) So that yes, better sleep for the overachiever. You can find it anywhere books are sold. It is available in paperback ebook and audiobook narrated by me. So if you find my voice soothing, you can listen to it before bed. Your voice is very soothing. Oh, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) uh, You can also find me on Instagram at psych up Academy where I talk a lot about sleep and also other daytime things like procrastination, because of course, helping people sleep is also helping with a lot of habit change. And so I have really dug into procrastination and even have a course now. So yes. It sounds like you're very passionate about your work. (laughs) I am. I I love helping people to live and be their best selves. Well, thank you, Anna. I really appreciate your time and all your wisdom. And yes, we will share links to your books and audiobook and everything in the show notes. So thank you again for being here. Thank you so much, Aislinn. I really enjoyed it. Anyone else out there feel a bit more hopeful about sleeping on their next long haul flight? Me too. Thank you, Anna, for your wisdom. We'll link to all the resources she mentioned, including her book and the website for Atlanta Insomnia and Behavioral Health Services, PC, in our show notes. That's it for today's episode. But before we wrap, I'd like to share the answer to last week's question, which was, where does the word map come from? Is it Sanskrit for road or path? Is it Arabic for view or horizon? Is it Greek for disc or plate? Or is it Latin for napkin or towel? The correct answer is Latin for napkin or towel. Yep, so uh, remember to bring a napkin along on your next trip to Roma. We're taking a break from trivia this week, but next week we'll be back with a new segment called How Do You Say That? We'll bring in fluent or semi-fluent speakers of a language, and they'll introduce us to a word or phrase that may be helpful in our travels. They'll define it, teach us how to say it, and how to use it just like a native speaker would. Ready for more unpacking? Visit afar.com and be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter. The magazine is at Afar Media. If you enjoyed today's exploration, I hope you'll come back for more great stories. Subscribing makes this easy. You can find Unpacked on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. And be sure to rate and review the show. It helps other travelers find it. This season, we also want to hear from you. Is there a travel dilemma, trend, or topic you'd like us to explore? Drop us a line at afar.com feedback. 
or email us at unpacked at afar.com. This has been Unpacked, a production of Afar Media. The podcast is produced by Aislinn Green and Nikki Galtaland. Music composition by Chris Collin. And remember, the world is complicated. We're here to help you unpack it.